Welcome and thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior in our lives, God comes first. And if we're obedient, the rest of life falls into place. The Raise the Sales sermon series continues with this message from First Pres Executive Director, Chris Pan. Good morning, I'm Chris Pan. I'm on staff at the church as Executive Director. And uh, this past summer, my family, my wife and kids and I were on vacation in Washington, D.C. And so we went to the Holocaust Memorial Museum, because that's the kind of fun dad that I am. Uh, the kids wanted to go to the Air and Space Museum, and I said, no, we're going to the Holocaust Museum. Uh, don't worry, we went to the Air and Space Museum on another day. Uh, and if you've never been, the Holocaust Museum is a powerful and horrifying and incredibly moving experience. Uh, and towards the end of the permanent exhibition, after the section on, sections on the rise of the Nazis and the war and the concentration camps and the stories of survivors, there's this whole section dedicated to the thousands of people who risked their lives to help their Jewish neighbors. Uh, I was so moved uh, by that section. Uh, that's just one you know, panel. This is a whole section with panels and panels like these. Pastor Dan preached a few weeks back about how Jesus calls us to be a good neighbor uh, and how during tragedies, Mr. Rogers would always look for the people helping. This is a whole section on people helping during the worst of times. And I'm sure you know about Oscar Schindler because there was a movie about him. Uh, but that's just one person who helped. There are walls and walls listing the names of people who helped rescue their Jewish neighbors with short stories for some of them. Here's the short description on the plaque of Ari van Mansum from the Netherlands. A traveling salesman and member of the underground in 1941, Ari van Mansum began to find hiding places for Jews and to forge ration cards, eventually as many as 250 a week to feed them. He visited hidden Jews regularly. Arrested in October 1943, <clears throat> Van Vansom was put in solitary confinement for six months before being sent to the Amersfoort concentration camp. There was nothing special about what I did, he said after the war. I did what everyone should have done. We are in week two in our Raise the Sail sermon series. and We're going through the first six chapters in the book of Joshua. We'll be looking at the second chapter of Joshua today on page 23 in your Raise the Sails navigation guide. Our sermon title today is Prioritize him, our lives for your lives. As we go through our sermon this morning, ask yourself two questions. What is God saying to me? What does he want me to do about it? Ask yourself, what is God saying to me? What does he want me to do about it? Will you please join me in prayer? God, open our eyes. May we prioritize you. May we love you. May we love and live like you. In Jesus' name. All God's children say, amen. Our lives for your lives is a line from Joshua chapter 2, verse 14 in our passage today. And we'll get there soon, but just to provide some context, the book of Joshua describes how the nation of Israel finally moves into the promised land. God made a promise to Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12 about the promised land. And that promise went through Abraham to Isaac Jacob to Joseph went through 400 years of slavery in Egypt. He went to Moses, leading the people out of slavery and across the Red Sea. He went through 40 years of wandering in the desert. And now, finally, under Joshua, the people are poised to finally enter the Promised Land. Pastor Dan preached last week about the command to be strong and courageous in 
Joshua chapter 1. Next week in chapter 3, Israel will finally cross the Jordan River. Today, in chapter 2, we get a great spy story and an even better story about faith and priorities. In Joshua chapter 2, Joshua sends two spies ahead of the Israelites across the Jordan River into the Promised Land and into the first city there named Jericho. There, the two spies meet and are helped by a woman of amazing faith named Rahab. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. This past summer, our sermon series was on amazing women in the Bible. And Rahab is another amazing hero of the faith, embodying grit and grace. Rahab is a resident in Jericho. She is not an Israelite. She is a Canaanite, a pagan in the foreign lands. And she's a hero of our faith and a direct ancestor to Jesus himself. She is his great, 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 so on and so on, grandmother. In verse 1, the spies enter Jericho and stay at Rahab's house. And here's where I'm not convinced that these two spies are the greatest spies. Because in the very next verse, Joshua verse 2, The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. These spies had one job, sneak in and sneak out. And they're so bad at sneaking that not only does someone see what they are doing, they know exactly what they're up to, exactly where they're from, exactly where they are, And they report it all the way up to the king in the city. You had one job. And so they put Rahab in immediate danger. And now Rahab has a choice. Give up the spies and protect herself. Be loyal to her city and her king and her country. Or choose the side of a god that she's never seen, but has only heard secondhand and thirdhand stories about. Protect herself or prioritize God. Rahab chooses God. She has heard about the God of the Israelites, the miraculous things he has done, and she chooses to prioritize that God over her own pagan gods, over her country allegiance, over even her own safety. Rahab hides the spies on her roof and then lies to the king's men searching for them. In verses 4 to 7, Rahab tells the king's men, Yeah, those guys came here, but I don't know where they're from, and I don't know where they went. If you leave quickly right now, maybe you can catch them. And so off they go, rushing down the road, and the spies are safe. In July 1941, the Nazis, together with Ukrainian collaborators, carried out terrible pogroms against Jews in the Polish town of Busatz. Manko Swerzak, a third-generation undertaker and a devout Catholic, gave some of the survivors refuge inside specially dug excavations in the local cemetery. At great risk, he brought food regularly to those he hid. The Nazis, suspicious of his activities, beat him up twice, but Schrezak never betrayed the people he had hidden. Joshua 2, 8 continues with Rahab speaking to the two spies she has hidden. Before the spies lay down for the night, Rahab went up to the roof and said to them, I know 
that the Lord has given you this land, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is the God in heaven above and on earth below. In both the New Testament books of Hebrews and James, Rahab is praised for her faith. In Hebrews 11, Rahab is listed in the hall of fame of faith with the likes of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Joseph and Moses and David and Samuel. In the book of James, the author makes the point that faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. And to illustrate this point, he cites only two people. The first is Abraham, and the second is Rahab. Rahab has heard of the mighty works of God, drying up the Red Sea for the Israelites to cross. She's heard of the military victories. She knows that God is a righteous judge. And Rahab chooses a side and shows her faith, saying, I know that the Lord has given you this land. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Can we have the same faith as Rahab? Do we really know that our Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below? If we had that faith, would it change how we lived? How we made decisions about ourselves and other people? Gertruda Bablinski was born in Danzig, Poland, to a religious family that based itself on the golden rule. She was working for the Stolowitzkis, a rich Jewish family, when the war began. The father was deported to Auschwitz, and the daughter died. Later, the mother became ill and died as well. Only the young son, Michael, remained. Boblinska took him home and raised him as her own child. Later, she brought him to Palestine aboard the ship Exodus 1947, a refugee ship, so that he could be raised as a Jew in the Promised Land. She took a job as a maid there to be able to pay for his schooling. Rahab is a hero of our faith, not only because she knows that God is a righteous judge. All of Jericho knows that. They know he's a righteous judge, which is why they're trembling in fear. Rahab knows something more than God is a judge. Rahab knows that God is also a savior. In verse 12, Rahab, who has risked everything, including her very life, to protect the spies, asks the spies to protect her and save her and her family. Rahab says in verse 12, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. Our lives for your lives. When I read this passage, that's the phrase that sticks with me. These two spies may be terrible at sneaking, but they are great at theology. They make an oath to Rahab, 
that she and her family will be saved. They say, we promise that we will answer with our own lives if anything happens to you. We will be as concerned for your safety as we are for our own. Our lives for your lives. Rahab has risked her life to protect them, and now they say in return, we'll risk our lives to protect you. Our lives for your lives. I think I'm so moved by Rahab's actions, moved by the stories of people who rescued their Jewish neighbors, moved by this, these spies' oath, our lives for your lives. Because when we look around in our world today, we don't see a lot of people living our lives for your lives. We see a whole lot of my life for my life. My life for my life, we get. The vast majority of Europeans were bystanders who did little to deter the Nazis or aid Jews or other victims. We don't have to look too far to see people behaving just for themselves. You don't have to look beyond this pulpit. You know, every Tuesday, our whole church staff gets together for lunch downstairs in the kitchen. And a few weeks back, I went down with my lunch, and I generally pack my lunch, and I also pack a piece of fruit for later on as a snack in the afternoon. And that day, I had packed a white peach for later. I love white peaches and nectarines. They're only around for a few weeks in the summer, and they're my favorite. So that day, at lunch, I sat next to Christian Stroppel, our middle school coordinator, who didn't pack his lunch. He forgot his. So I said, do you want my peach? And he said, sure. And I immediately regretted offering him my peach. (laughs) But I've been thinking about generosity for months now as we prepare for this raise the sales journey that we're on. And you know what? Thinking about generosity makes you do crazy things like offer someone your peach, even though it's your favorite fruit. So during this Raise the Sale series, we hope that you also meet and get into the presence of our generous God. And then see what happens. Let's meet a generous God and then wrestle with our default attitude of my life for my life, my peach for my belly. Let's also wrestle with our attitude of our lives for our lives. Because I get stuck there too. I think, look, I'm doing better. I'm not selfish about me. I'm just looking out for the best interests of my family or the people I care about or for my country. Our lives for our lives. When we flew to the mainland this summer, we flew on Southwest. And so before our flight, I sat my kids down and prepared them. I said, listen, Southwest doesn't have seat assignments. You get in this line, and then when you get on the plane, it's a free-for-all. So you got to keep your elbows up and stay focused and find the window seats Block out all those little ladies traveling by themselves. Get those good seats. Look out for your family so we can all sit together. Our lives for our lives. I think the church sometimes thinks it's our lives for our lives too. We want to sing the songs that we like, have the programs we want, protect the stuff that's for us. Can I say that's not what the church, capital C Church, is all about? The capital C, church, and this church, First Pres, is about walking out of those doors into a world in need and saying, our lives for your lives. The motto for the Coast Guard rescue swimmers is, so others may live. That's it. 
These are the people who jump out of helicopters in full gear into high seas and floods to rescue drowning people from sinking boats and hurricanes. They are trained ENTs and have to be able to survive after being left at sea for over 24 hours. All their training, all their facilities, all their budget, what's it for? Their training's not for themselves so they can admire their muscles. Their facilities aren't for themselves so they can have a fancy clubhouse. It's all so others may live. Isn't that also the purpose of the church? Why we're here. These wristbands, this navigational guide, this commitment card, it's not for us. It's so we can wrestle with the idea, my life for my life, or our lives for our lives, and grapple and confront this idea, it's so others may live. It's so we remember to go where the Holy Spirit leads and walk out those doors into an island in need, into a world in need, and say, our lives for your lives. The pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, the church is the church only when it exists for others, not dominating, but helping and serving. It must tell men and women of every calling what it means to live for Christ, to exist for others. Amen is right. I'm going to read that again. The church is the church only when it exists for others, not dominating, but helping and serving. It must tell men and women of every calling what it means to live for Christ, to exist for others. That quote from Bonhoeffer is from his letters and papers from prison. And if you know about Bonhoeffer, you'll know that he was a German pastor, imprisoned and later executed for trying to assassinate Adolf Hitler. Like Rahab, like the spies, Bonhoeffer risked and gave his life for the lives of others. In August 1938, when Switzerland closed its borders to Jewish refugees, Paul Gruninger was police commander of the St. Gall district. Disobeying government orders, he allowed refugees to cross freely into Switzerland. After the Gestapo informed the Swiss government about his actions, Gruninger was dismissed and put on trial, accused of allowing 3,000 refugees to enter the country illegally he was found guilty in 1941 and fined heavily. Later, Gruninger declared, quote, It was a question of saving people's lives. How could I consider bureaucratic procedures? If you hear these stories and are inspired to live so others may live, great. If you hear these stories and think, how am I ever going to live like that? Join the club. I couldn't even give away my peach without regretting it. How am I going to give away my life? But I have good news for you and for me. And let's finish the rest of, Genesis, of, of Joshua chapter 2 to get there. Rahab helps the spies escape out of the city. They climb out of her window, and then she tells them where to hide and for how long to escape capture. They hide for three days in the hills. And before they go, the spies make this promise to Rahab. Tie a scarlet cord in your window and make sure your whole family is inside your house when we come back in a few days with the whole army. And that scarlet cord will be a sign that everyone inside will be saved, that death will pass by where that red cord is. And that's exactly what happens in Joshua chapter 6. Rahab's whole family is saved. Does that remind you of anything? 
When Israel fled Egypt, they put lamb's blood over their door frames, and the angel of death passed over their houses. When Noah was saved, he brought his whole family into the ark, and they all were saved. I get it that Rahab and Noah had great faith and were saved. But what about Noah's family and Rahab's family? What did they do to deserve to be saved? Mike Pilavachi writes in the book Storylines, did they have to pass a test to be Noah's relative or Rahab's? Did they have to be good? No. They just had to be family. And so the most important idea isn't my life for my life, or our lives for our lives, or even our lives for your lives. The most important truth is his life for our lives. Jesus sacrificed his life so that we might have life. His blood, a scarlet mark over us, a sign that his family inside will be saved. He died, was buried for three days in the hills, and then rose again. His life for our lives. Pilavachi writes, Jesus Christ died on a wooden cross for our sins, our ark of salvation. Anyone who puts their trust in him and becomes part of his family, even though they deserve to die, because of him they will live. Not because of anything we do, not because we deserve it, not because we're good, but only because we are adopted into God's family when we decide to follow Jesus. Because Jesus' blood covers us like blood over the door frames or a scarlet cord in the window. And just because we're his family, we're saved. His life for our lives. That's the only reason we can say our lives for your lives. 1 John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That verse captures everything we've been talking about this morning. His life for our lives, and in turn, our lives for your lives. You know what the very next verse says in 1 John 3:17? If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. It's the very next verse. It seems relevant somehow. Two weeks back, Jason Waldrop, our associate worship director, preached a great sermon about the power of sharing our stories. And you've heard a lot of stories this morning. And I've got one more about how Jesus' life for our lives moves us into a world so that others may live. Jason said that we don't tell other people's stories secondhand. We share our own. So rather than me tell her story, I'd like now to invite Mary Frances Nelson up to tell her own story. Many of us know Mary as Miracle Mary, and you'll find out why. A warning for parents, if you have young children here in this service, Mary will be sharing very vulnerably about her life, and some of that is not suitable for young children. Please welcome Mary Frances Nelson. Good morning, I'm Mary Frances Nelson. I've been a member of this church for almost seven years. I would like to share my story, trigger warning. Be prepared, the first part is pretty rough. When I was 13 years old, my single mom committed suicide. My siblings and I were ripped apart. When I was 14, I was raped by several men. 
The friend I confided in betrayed me, so my whole school found out. I had no self-worth, and my hometown didn't feel like home anymore. When a young man I knew invited me to go away with him to the big city, I did. He turned out to be a predator. I ended up in the streets of New York City and Times Square in the early 70s, which was rough back then, not like it is now. I was a prostitute. I was beaten and stabbed and left for dead. I was sentenced, I was sent to prison for 40 days at Rikers Island. I was 14 years old. When I was 18, my pimp sent me from New York to Hawaii by myself. I worked Waikiki for the next 34 years. I've had over 20 surgeries to change my body and my looks. I've had six rogues at the same time. Who needs six rogues at the same time? And luxury cars and crazy money. Even with all of that, I was, I was a living corpse. I didn't know what love was. I was dying from a broken heart. In 2012, a little Japanese woman from the church named Sharon would walk the streets of Waikiki where I worked with a ministry called Red Light Angels, and I would run from her. But she never gave up on me. We would talk and she prayed for me, and when she invited me to the Christmas service here, I reluctantly decided to go. I knew as soon as I decided to go to church, that would be it. I sat all the way in the back that, that night, and I, oh, sorry, I sat all the way in the back. That night I cried. I started coming to church on Sundays and would rush home right after. I went to an Alpha course, and Sharon was there for me, pushing me and encouraging me. Exactly a year later, Christmas 2013, I had an incredible experience of healing that allowed me to forgive my mother, and I finally accept, and I finally accept God's love. I was watching the movie In Her Shoes, at home when the tape got stuck on a woman character who had committed suicide, saying, please take care of my babies. Well, that was the last words I heard from my mother as well. When I heard that, I started crying and felt the warmth from my feet all the way to my head. God was there, the Holy Spirit was there, and I knew it. At that moment, I forgave my mother for everything that happened, for feeling like she left us, and I surrendered my life to God. I didn't want to be didn't want to be a Christian because I didn't know that I could be a Christian. But once I got right with God, I knew I would have to lose everything. I gave up everything, the cars, the jewelry, the condos. And after 38 years, I got a new job. I got baptized a few months later. I want to help people. Every Sunday for the last five years, I volunteer with the toddlers downstairs. I've been on women's leadership team. I've gone with the church on mission trips, and I've spoken all over the island and the world about my story, how God has changed my life, and how you should take a chance on God. Trust me, I still have issues, but I wanted to share my story because I'm moving to the mainland in a few weeks, and I'm moving in with my daughter and my son-in-law and my granddaughter. I could have never gone from the streets to them, but being part of this church is what helped me, believe me. I'm at a new place now where God continues to heal me, and I finally, I'm finally ready to be a part of their lives. By the way, my daughter's name is Christian. I named her that 32 years ago when I didn't know what it really meant, but God did. Amen. Thank you, Mary. Thank you for your courage for sharing your story. 
Praise God for Mary and praise God for this church. When I left the Holocaust Museum this summer, I went through the gift shop and I bought a magnet that says, what you do matters. In small ways and in big ways, what you do matters. The church exists so that others may live. Out on the streets of Waikiki, saying to a world in need, our lives for your lives. In Cambodia and in the Philippines, saying our lives for your lives. In your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, in your home, saying our lives for your lives. Not because we're good, but because we know a generous God. A God who gave his life for ours. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Will you join me in prayer? Take a few moments now in silence to pray and reflect and wrestle with God. What is God saying to you? What does he want you to do about it? God, we thank you that we are your beloved and your desire is for us. Thank you that you did not spare your own son but gave him up for all of us. Thank you that we are your children adopted into your family. May we follow your Holy Spirit where he leads. In the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, all God's children say, Amen. Amen. God has given each one of us an amazing story to tell. And what we do matters. We invite you to come forward after this service. If you'd like prayer in front of the cross and in front of the choir risers, there'll be a member of our, members of our prayers team to pray with you. But now, please receive this blessing. May the love of God our Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. It's not about us. When we prioritize God in our lives, we prioritize others too. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Pres website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us at one of our worship services on campus at 45550 Kiona Ole Road, Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 930, and 1111. Follow First Pres on Twitter and Facebook. Download the new First Pres app. Watch First Pres sermon videos on our website and on Facebook. If you need more, you can call us at 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Pres, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2019 and produced by the media ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau.